morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Uh, one big all-family service. Uh, we only do this once or twice a year on the weekends. We know it's going to be a, a big travel weekend. So we're just glad that you're here with us, everybody, just hanging out together. Uh, I want to read some scripture to us to start off our worship time. Galatians 5.1. Today is obviously July 3rd. July 4th weekend, celebrating independence and freedom. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. As we think through the next day or two about freedom and independence and try not to shoot your finger off with fireworks, let this be an opportunity to put your mind on a greater freedom. There is a freedom that cannot be taken away, a freedom that cannot be altered, a freedom that cannot be infringed upon, and that is the freedom that is given through faith in Christ alone. That's why the scriptures tell us, look, you've been set free. Don't slip back into a fake slavery. That's not who you are anymore. You're free from sin. You're free from condemnation. You're free from your past. You're free from legalism, trying to earn your way to God. You're free from all of that. To live in your freedom. So I want to pray for us today, beginning our worship time together as we celebrate Christ and the freedom that he gives us. Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for this freedom that you give. We thank you, God, that you make us free. We thank you, God, that you set us free from sin, from our past, from our failures, from guilt and condemnation, from legalism and trying to earn our way towards you and get favor with you. God, I thank you that we are free from all of that because of just Jesus. I pray, God, today that you would set more people free and allow us to experience the fullness of that freedom for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Hey, let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord. Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate. We have been set free. the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We 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 shout out your praise. O
risen one, Jesus the Christ. Let's sing of his name today. Let's sing of his greatness. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation. Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us. Jesus.
be seated. My God story is about learning to trust in God. Uh, if you had told me on February 17th of 2020, about 1.30 in the afternoon, sitting in the McDonald's drive-thru, that uh, about 20 minutes later, I would have been involved in a, uh, in a plane crash, I would, uh, I would have laughed at you. I would have thought you crazy. But uh, oftentimes, God has some, some pretty crazy plans for us, and we, we don't always see him coming. Uh, but before we get to that, we'll kind of take a step back and kind of tell you my story. I was saved in third grade. I became a Christian, uh, asked Jesus into my heart. But I never really understood what it meant to be a Christian. I was more just living out my parents' faith rather than my own was going through the motions, showing up for Sunday school, simply because that's what I was expected to do. It was never really personal to me. Uh, and, it, and it stayed like that all the way until probably ninth grade or 10th grade when I was in high school. And, uh, and I was going through the uh, student leadership or SLU university uh, interview uh, process that the youth group was doing here at the church to be able to attend that trip. And, and through the questions that all the youth group leaders, including Shane and uh, the Hollies and everybody else was asking me, I realized that I was missing out. I was living out my parents' faith rather than my own, and I claimed to be a Christian, but there was never really any fruit from it, and there was, there was never really anything that I was doing to make my faith my own. Uh, and so that was kind of the second chapter in my life where God really started to um, to move through me and really start to to uh, transform me uh, into more like Christ. Jump forward to February 17th of 2020, God decided to add another chapter to that story um, in some pretty radical ways. I um, February 17th was in a plane crash. Um, had to get life flighted to UNC Hospital. Uh, was crashing in the in the helicopter on the way there. Uh, was pretty much on death's door step. Uh, and uh, spent 24 days in the hospital. Uh, had punctured lung, damaged kidney, uh, broken back, broken face, broken uh, clavicle. Um, and frankly, should not have come out the other side uh, the way that I have. Um, should have had a collapsed lung, and over the weekend, the doctor said it was going to happen, and first thing Monday morning, they walk in and are like, okay, your lungs are fine now. We're not sure quite how that's happened. Uh, same thing with the kidneys. Thought I was going to need a kidney transplant, and next thing you know, they said, you're doing fine, your levels are looking good. Uh, and I remember one of the janitors had, um, come in to clean my room at one point on a Friday evening. Uh, and we didn't see her again until Tuesday the next morning, or the next week. And uh, when she came in and saw me, uh, I had changed so drastically, and God had healed me so quickly that she actually had to walk back out, check the name on the door, uh, and then come back in to make sure that it was me. And, um, and throughout this whole process, there has been so many unknowns. Whether or not I'd be able to walk again, was unknown for a bit. Whether or not I'd be able to brush my teeth normally again was was unknown. Uh, whether or not I was going to be able to fly again and, and do what I felt like God had called me to do, that was completely up in the air. 
and uh, and throughout this whole process, it's always just been we're not sure what's going to happen, but God's got it. He's got a plan. He already knows what's going to happen, and uh, and we've just got to trust Him, even in the little things. And and so that's been the main lesson that I've taken away from this next chapter that God's given me, and and allowed me and and, and blessed me to go through. I am a totally different person, and a, and in my faith has grown exponentially because of this experience that I have gone through. And, and now I have, we, we all as Christians have a, a good testimony. The fact that the creator of the universe has, has let his son die for us and, and given us a chance to, to have a personal relationship with him is a fantastic testimony. But I, but I now have a entertaining testimony if you would and um and going back to first peter three fifteen, uh the second portion of it we are told as christians to always be ready to to defend our faith and be able to explain to someone why we have so much hope and and that's what i'm trying to do god has given me an amazing gift and i'm just trying to somehow make an effort to repay it and uh, and it has been an amazing process, and I uh, I do not regret a single moment of it. And it has made me so much more firm in my understanding and faith uh, moving forward. My name is Jake Parsons, and this is my God story. Amen. Well, we do love hearing your stories of God's faithfulness in your life, and we love giving opportunities for you to share that. And so if you would like to um, let us hear your God story, you can just text the word story to our number, 910-424-1298. We'd love to talk with you about that and hear what all the great things God's done in your life. Uh, but for us here this morning, if you have a Bible, let's find 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. We've got a little bit of work to do to get there, but you can go ahead and find it, all right? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. So we're jumping back into our series that we're calling the story, and the idea behind the series is we're wanting to show you the big, the big overarching story of the Bible. What There's one big idea, one big theme, one big hero. His name is Jesus. And so as we've been seeing this, we've seen that God created Adam and Eve, and he created them to have Intimacy and fellowship with him in his presence, right? What made the Garden of Eden amazing wasn't the fact that there was no sickness or death. What made the Garden of Eden awesome and glorious was the fact that they were in the presence of God perfectly. And what made the consequences for their sin so drastic wasn't the fact that now Adam had to work hard and that Eve uh, had pain in childbirth. What made the consequence for their sin so drastic was that they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden out of the presence of God, and lost fellowship with him. That's the whole point. And, and ever since that time, God has been seeking to gain fellowship with his people again. This is why he's done everything that he's done. Right? This is why that he created the covenants with Noah and Abraham and Moses. He's trying to create relationship and fellowship with his people. Why he gave the law. He's trying to explain, here's how I want you to act in my presence. That's why he gave the sacrifices. Here's when you break my law and fellowship is broken with me, I want you to do these things so that fellowship can be restored. Right? He's been seeking what I want you to understand today, the big, glorious, amazing truth I want to shine bright across your face today is this. 
God has literally moved heaven and earth in order to have fellowship and intimacy with you. That is awesome. And so as you read through the story of the Bible, you're going to get to the book of Exodus, verses, uh, chapters 25 through 31. And chapters 25 through 31 of Exodus lay out God's provisions for what's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically a tent, and in that tent was held what's called the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and this was to literally represent and be God's dwelling place on earth. Right? And so as the people of God are wandering through the wilderness, they get to carry God with them. And so they get to be known as not just those people, but literally they get to be known as the people that God dwells among. Right? This was an amazing, glorious thing. God was giving them the gift of himself. I'm going to be with you in this amazing gift called the tabernacle. However, before the people of God can really even enjoy that, Right? As Moses is up on the mountain of Sinai getting all of this from God, the people of God are down in the valley and not doing great. Right? If you know the story, so I'll pick it up just to kind of give you a little idea. We'll throw it up on the screen. Exodus 32. So Moses is up on the mountain. The people of God are down at the bottom. And they say, chapter 32, verse 1, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Right, so what did Aaron do? Aaron's like, hey, well, give me your gold rings. So they took off their gold earrings and stuff. And handed it to him, and he used this tool to make this golden calf, and everyone starts worshiping the golden calf, if you know the story. So now they're down in the bottom, worshiping the golden calf. Moses is up on Mount Sinai with God, as God is literally writing the Ten Commandments on stone with his finger. God obviously knows what's happening at the bottom, so he tells Moses, Moses, we've got a problem. Your people have lost their minds. So, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill everybody. And start over with you. That's my plan. And Moses intercedes. Moses gets in the middle and says, no God, don't do that. Show them mercy. And it's interesting. So I've been telling you throughout this whole series it, that everything points to Jesus. Even Exodus 32, the story of the golden calf, is about Jesus. You've got wicked, rebellious, hard-hearted people who deserve to be judged by a righteous and holy God. They deserve to have his wrath and fury and judgment poured onto them. However, a man stands in the middle and says, No, God, show them grace. This is the picture of Jesus. The God-man standing between us and a righteous God saying, No, give me the wrath, but show them grace. And so... God does this. God chooses not to kill everyone, but he does cast two very serious judgments against him. All right, number one is this. God goes through and he kills everyone who desires to remain in the rebellion. So you'll see there in the book of Exodus that about 3,000 men died that day because they wanted to stay in the rebellion. Second thing that God did is this. I want to read it to you. Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3. 
the people of God became very uncomfortably close to losing God's presence before they can ever really even enjoy it. Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land to which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Uptites. That's the Baptist. (laughs) But then verse 3. Look at this. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Watch this. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Track with this. Here's what God just said to them, all right? I promised your ancestors that I'm going to give you this land, and I'm a man of my word. This is God, right? I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I will not renege on my covenant promises. So I'm going to give you the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'll give you my provision, but you cannot have my presence. And I want you to think about this just for a second, because again, the whole point I want you to get today is God is desiring to have his presence with you. God is desiring to have fellowship with you. God is desiring to have intimacy with you. So here's an honest question. Just you and God, let's be straight, okay? If God said, I'll give you all the things you want, but you don't get me, would you take that deal? If God said, all right, here's the deal. I'll give you the marriage you always wanted. I'll bring home your crazy kids. I'll heal your body. I'll make you financially well off. I'll give you tons of friends. You can go forward and have every bit of that. But I'm not going to be with you. Be honest, just you and God. Would you take that deal? And the thing is this, and here's what I want to kind of sit on just for a second. I think for a lot of us, there's a tension. Because probably for a lot of you, you're thinking exactly what I would be thinking. And what I was thinking is I'm praying through this this week. Can I have both? Right? I mean, like, is it like really just that or that? I mean, can I, can I have both? Here's the heart of Christianity. You ready? The heart of Christianity is... Even if the world burns, you still get God. That's the point. What if the marriage doesn't work out and the kids don't come home and you don't get a healthy body and you are flat broke and your car is held together by duct tape and Christian bumper stickers? Are you still great with the fact that I at least get God? That's the point. John Piper says, God is the gospel. He is the point. Matthew 13, Jesus says, there's this great treasure that when you see how glorious this treasure is, you should be willing to sell everything in order to get it. What's the treasure? God. Is he worth it? Moses realized that he was, verse 15 of chapter 33 in Exodus, and he... That's Moses said to him, God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses recognized the fact that Israel had no hope if God wasn't with them. 
And what I want you to understand today, by God's grace, is you have no hope, no point, no purpose, no, no, no foundation for joy and peace or any of those other things apart from the presence of God. Those other things that you're chasing to try to get that for you, they're going to fall flat. They're not going to satisfy. And even if they do for a little bit, great. You get 80 good years on earth, then what? The point is, God is the great and glorious treasure. So, God hears the plea of Moses and says, okay, I will remain with you. My presence will remain with you. I'll go with you. So they wander through the wilderness and eventually they're given the promised land as they settle in the promised land. Uh, David is eventually raised up as their king. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But David decides he wants to build a temple, a permanent dwelling place for God. However, he's a man of war. He shed a lot of blood and so God says, I don't want you to do it. I want your son Solomon to do it. So Solomon becomes king and Solomon builds this temple. Listen to the temple. It took Solomon over seven years and over 150,000 laborers to build this temple. The temple that Solomon built used over 4,000 tons of gold. That's 8 million pounds. And over 40,000 tons of silver. It is estimated that in today's value, the temple that Solomon built would have cost $160 trillion. That's with a t t t t. He used so much gold. Some estimate that the amount of gold he used in that temple is about 5% of all the gold that's ever been mined from planet Earth. This temple was so glorious. One twentieth of all the gold that's ever been plucked from the earth was in that one building. That's not even including all of the precious stones, right? Marble and onyx and rubies and emeralds that were everywhere on the walls and the pillars. It was, it was a bling factory. You read the Psalms where it talks about going up to the hill of the Lord and have it being shining and glorious. Because when you cross over the hill and you see Jerusalem, the sun hits the temple and it looks like the sun has reached the earth. It is shining amazingly. This temple was glorious. However, what was used to build the temple is not what made it amazing. What made the temple amazing was what was inside the temple, specifically the presence of God. 1 Kings chapter 8, 10 and 11, here's what happened when the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies in the temple. 1 Kings 8, 10, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of of the Lord. God's presence was with his people. And this has always been the point. God loves his people. God desires his people. God wants to be with his people. That's why he was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. That's why he told him to build the tabernacle and build the temple. This is the point. God wants to be with his people. And remember, the point of the Bible is that Jesus is the great point. Jesus is the great hero. So all of these things, the tabernacle, the temple, all of these things are pointing to Jesus. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. When the angel came to Joseph and told him that Mary was going to give birth, the angel quoted Isaiah 7, 14 and said in Matthew 1, 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we've been saying this whole time. That's the point. God with us. Us. And now God is desiring to be with his people. And he's going to do that perfectly through Jesus. You see it also in John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. So when it says here in verse 14 that he dwelt among us. The word dwelt is the same word for tabernacle. What he's saying is this, the tabernacle that was built in Exodus, a new and better and more glorious tabernacle is coming now, and his name is Jesus. If you keep on going in the Gospel of John to chapter 2, it's going to say that Jesus was the perfect and more glorious temple. Jesus is the tabernacle of God. He is the temple of God. He is the presence of God. Jesus has come, and he is the way for you to have actual, real fellowship with God. You can be in the presence of God, face to face with God, living in intimacy with God through Jesus. This is the whole point. And for his disciples, think about how amazing it must have been for the disciples in the New Testament. They sat down every night and had dinner in the very presence of God. Can you even imagine that? I mean, what's it like praying over that meal? Thank you you for this food that I'm about to receive. But here's the amazing thing. Like they're in the very presence of God himself and they had to think there's nothing better than this. This is, this is the greatest thing in the universe. We're literally in the presence of God. In fact, when they were on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus sort of pulled back his humanity a little bit and showed more of the deity, more of the glory of God out what did Peter say? Peter's like, let's build some tents and live here forever. This is awesome. I don't want to ever leave this. They were in the very presence of God. However, Jesus told them that he was going to leave them. And not only that he was going to leave them, but he said something even more amazing. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said that he's going to leave, but not only was going to leave, he said it was good he was going to leave. So hang on a second. I thought the whole point of this was God being with us. And now God is here. Jesus himself is literally standing right here. And now he's saying, oh, now I'm going to go again. But that's a good thing I'm going to go. Trust me. Why? Because he said in going, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. So that it wasn't just God on earth and one man standing in front of us. It was going to be God on earth filling all of his people. And this is what happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them 
utterance. From the moment the Holy Spirit filled the early church in Acts 2, God's presence has dwelt on earth through his people, through us, through the church of God, the temple of God now here on earth, which is what brings us to our scripture for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a, what? Temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Everything that God has been doing has been leading up to this. That is why Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. That's why Israel was led by God in the wilderness. That's why he told them to build the tabernacle and build the temple. God was pushing to this. But God wasn't content with just having this glorious, amazing building that people could walk by and look at and be in awe of. And whoa, God lives there. That's amazing. He wasn't content with that. He wanted us to be able to say, not God lives there, but God lives here. So, Jesus Christ came and died as our sacrifice, making you now the holy of holies. Your body is not just flesh and blood. You are now the literal dwelling place of God. You were bought by Jesus, therefore you're owned by Jesus. You're under new management. You are not your own. You are the dwelling place. You are the house of God. He now lives and dwells, resides in you. One of the main plot lines of the entire Bible is this idea that God desires to be with his people. He wants to live with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to have intimacy with you. And he sacrificed his son to do it. So, my question for us, I want us to unpack just for a moment is, how do we grow in that fellowship with God? How do we grow in that? Um, if you've been around church um, over the last five years or so, whether here or anywhere else, you probably sang a song that, that went something like, um, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Right, if you're familiar with that. So you sing that song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I go, well, that sounds weird. I mean, of course, I mean, he's God. Were you going to tell him no? Well, of course he's welcome here. But here's the thing. Think about it. There's a difference between being present somewhere and being welcome there. Right? Everybody in this room, you have walked into a place at least once in your life where you were just as present as everybody else in that room, but you did not feel as welcome as everybody else in that room. Yeah? Right? You were there, but you could tell they didn't want you there. And that's what he's talking about here in this song. Yes, God is here, but the question is, do we welcome him? Do we desire him? Do we pursue him? So I want to give you three things to think through. How do we grow in fellowship with God? If the whole point of all of this, one of the big storylines of the Bible is that God has been seeking to, to, to have his presence with us, to abide with us, to live with us, to dwell with us. How do we grow in that? I'll give you three quick things. Number one, fervently pursue fellowship with God. Um, if God has gone to such great lengths to be with us and have fellowship with us, then it would make sense that our greatest responsibility is to pursue that fellowship with Him. That we pursue Him and desire Him. 
some of you, some of us, I know I've lived this. Um, your view of Christianity is, is more about the intellect. It's more about what you know. So we know a lot about God. We don't really enjoy fellowship and intimacy with Him. Now, God desires that we would know Him. The Scriptures would say that we would grow in knowledge of God. That's important. But, but that's not just pure intellectual fact. That's about a relationship. That's intimate knowledge. That's an Adam knew Eve and she bore a son, no, kind of knowledge. Do you know them like that? It would be kind of like if you came up to me after service today and said, Hey, we're new. Glad to be here. Oh, so tell me about yourself. So you're married. It's like, yep, yep, I'm married. Tell me about your wife. Well, Marie Caprice Garrett was born September 7th in Aiken Regional Hospital in Aiken, South Carolina to Stephanie and Danny. She is five foot seven, has brown hair and brown eyes. You look at me and go, you're weird. Like no one, no one, what? Now I wasn't, I mean I could Google that. Like I, I was asking about verses, if you say, oh, so tell me about your wife. She is amazing. She is my absolute best friend. I remember the day that I met her. I walked into an office at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina. She was sitting behind the desk. She helped me fill out some paperwork. I immediately left there and told my mom, I met the girl I'm going to marry. Um, I, when she's not beside me, I feel like a piece of my body has been cut off. Like when she walks in a room, I'm like, oh, I can breathe now. Breathing. I talk about her like that. You go... So, you guys are close then, right? There's a difference between knowing facts about Marie Lynch and me actually having the most intimate relationship with Marie Lynch that anyone on earth has. Right? Those two are different. Can we just chat for a second? Some of you, the relationship with God is still in category A. You know things about Him? You can rattle off facts and doctrine and verses, which are good. They know that it's bad. You'll never hear me say anything that is bad. That is great and glorious. But those facts, do they drive you to worship? Do they drive you to intimacy? Do they drive you to fellowship with Him? Do they drive you just to spend time in the presence of God? Moses, literally the giver of the law, but when he saw the laws of glory as it was, he couldn't stay away from the God's presence. Joshua, even when Moses left, stayed even longer. Because when they saw who God was, they had to spend time with him. For some of you, your, your understanding of Christianity is pretty much just things you know. Not intimacy with God. Others of us, your understanding of Christianity is more about morality and not doing bad things. Your understanding of Christianity is, I don't do these bad things. Well, the problem is this. Just try it with me just for a second. If, in your mind, the point of being a Christian is, you don't drink, you don't cuss, you don't smoke, you don't watch R-rated movies, you don't hang out with bad girls that do, if that's your understanding of Christianity, you're tracking with us, you ready? That podium is the greatest Christian in this room. That podium doesn't drink, it doesn't cuss, it doesn't smoke, it doesn't go to R-rated movies, it doesn't dance, like you can't even move it. It goes to church so much, it literally lives here. So you ready for this? Listen. 
if your version of Christianity could be lived out by an inanimate object, you may want to rethink some things. You're doing great at not doing the bad things, but you don't actually have intimacy with God, which is the point. And I would say, I would admit to you that I struggle with both of those in my Christian walk. I was much more of a no things and don't do bad things kind of Christian. That was who I was for a very, very, very long time. And God, by his grace, began to work on my heart. He used John 15 as a massive push in that. If that's something that you might be struggling with, I would recommend for you this week studying John 15. God really pushed in on that. It was like, no, no, it's about me and abiding in me and not about you doing good stuff. And the only way you're going to do good stuff is if you're walking with me, man. God used that passage to really crush these things in my heart. And it led to a mindset shift where I still sought the Lord in knowledge and I still sought to walk in obedience. But now that I had intimacy with him, it made all of that possible now. Second is this. Remove what hinders your fellowship with God. The problem is most of us don't think about the idea that we are the temple of God. So now we don't live like we're the temple of God. And this 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the, the immediate context here is sexual sin. So the people there are engaging in sexual sin. And so he's, he's talking with them and saying, hey, look, no, no, this, this isn't okay. And, and it starts in verse 19 again with, or do you not know? Right? He's like, don't you get this? You are the temple of God. And when you live like this, you're, you're destroying that. You're, you're, you're bringing difficulty and hardship to your intimacy with God. You're the temple of God. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know who lives inside of you? Don't you know what it costs for God to dwell inside of you? I would encourage you. I would, I would beg you even. Get on your face before God and confess and repent of anything and everything that hinders your fellowship with Him. The really, really bad things and the not so bad things. But it hinders your fellowship and relationship with Him. Pursue God. And for everyone who would say, I don't have time for that, your social media content is going to judge you before Christ. The amount of times you flip through Facebook will judge you one day. I beg us. Get out of Facebook and pursue His face in Zebra. Seek the face of God. Rid your heart of all these things that are hindering fellowship with Him. And, and last is this. I'm going to ask our band to come up. Become obsessed with the gospel. So again, the content here is sexual sin, right? So sexual sin that they're involved with. And I want you to get this. This is so cool. It's so great. This is, this is what I desire to be a hallmark of our ministry here. So they're in sexual sin. But look how the Apostle Paul doesn't handle it. He doesn't just handle it with, hey, you guys are doing bad things. Quit it. Right? Just say no. Stop doing the bad thing and start doing a good thing. He doesn't do that. Now, he does tell them to quit. Verse 18, he tells them, flee, run from that. It's going to kill you. But the primary thrust for what he's seeking to drive this 
verses 19 and 20, is the gospel. I'm going to read it for you again. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. He reminds them of the fact who God is and the price that was paid to set them free from sin. So walk in that. The greatest thing you can do is become obsessed with who God is and the gospel of God that sets you free. The more you see how glorious and amazing and beautiful and awesome God is, you want Him. And so you run to Him. Our students this week spent time at Liberty University with uh, at Gotel Camp. And, and I've shared with you before, I'll share it with you again, one of my favorite Jerry Falwell stories. Jerry Falwell was the founder of Liberty University. One of my favorite Falwell stories is he was sitting at his home in his office one day at home and working. And, and out of nowhere, a window breaks behind him and a baseball comes flying in his room. And of course, it scares him half to death, right? Whoa, what in the world? Then a minute or two later, he hears a knock at the door goes to the door and he opens it and there's this little fella standing there at the door just weeping sir I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry that was me I accidentally knocked the ball through a window I'm so sorry I do whatever I have to do to pay for it please I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry my parents are going to kill me I really am sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry so Jerry Falwell turns around and goes back into his office picks the ball up off the floor knocks the glass off of it grabs a pen off his desk and writes on the baseball four year scholarship to Liberty University Walks back to the door, hands it to the little fella, and says, I'll tell you what, buddy. Go show that to your parents. Tell them everything's going to be okay. Why do we know that story? Because 30 years later, they haven't stopped telling it. When you're shown that kind of grace, you become an instant fan, right? You think that guy walks on water. You think he's amazing. You were going to tell everyone how great that gift to you was, how totally undeserved it was, and he just lavished it on you. How much more when you see the great and glorious gift of God do you say, I just want him. I just want Him. I love Him. I desire Him. The greatest thing you can do today is to see how great and amazing and glorious the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That you were the calf-worshipping, deviant, depraved people at the bottom of the hill. And God rightfully deserved to crush you with His wrath. But the God-man, Jesus Christ, stood in the middle and says, No, Father, don't. Pour your wrath on me. Let them live. And when you see that you are deserving of it and worthy of it, but Jesus soaked every ounce of it up for you, don't you want to go running after that guy now? Don't you want Jesus? You want to be in his presence. You want to be before his face. You want to be intimate with him because he gave so much to make it possible. So this morning as we end our time together, our band is going to, lead us. We're going to sing. I want to encourage you. Take some time here this morning and just again, if there's, if there's sin in your life you need to confess and repent, do that. 
If you've sought more about knowing things about God instead of knowing God in intimacy, confess that. If you've just tried to be the good boy but not really sought the face of God, confess that. The whole point is that God has been seeking to be with his people again and to finally make you his dwelling place, you the temple of God, you the holy of holies. Embrace that. Embrace that. Run after him. So God, we just thank you. We thank you, God, that this is true. We thank you, God, that this is our reality. And I ask you, God, that you would today empower us to live as people who are the literal dwelling places of God. Let us pursue you, chase you, run after you in intimacy because you're worth it. That's worth it. Thank you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together. Church, I want to encourage you in one other thing as you you reflect on words that Pastor Brad has has shared with you today. I want to, this last song is a song of blessing that we sing over each other, right? So I want to encourage you. I don't want to disrupt everything, but I certainly want to encourage you to step out of your comfort zone today. I challenge you to find someone in this room that you love and you adore and pray this song over them. Pray with them as we sing. Or you can come here and pray with them. Or you can sit and reflect. But I pray that our faith will be lived out in a very real way right here, right now. We don't just sing a song because that's what we do. But we sing these truths. We speak these truths over our brothers and sisters so that the name of Christ might be glorified. Let's sing.
your family and your children that children that children may save be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children that children that children may present go before you and behind you and beside you all around you Within you, he is with you, he is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, and your going, in your weeping, and rejoicing, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. We just, we thank you, Lord, that you give us your presence, that we're able to walk in your life, your face shining on us because of you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, do me a favor. Have a seat just for a quick second. We're almost done. 
Going to let you get out of here. A couple of quick announcements for you. One, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. It's a weird day today, uh, but uh, next week everything is back to normal. Uh, 9.30 and 11 o'clock service, kids ministry, journey groups, youth ministry, all that's back on next week. So glad that you're here today. If you are a guest with us, we'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is just to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. But for everyone, three big announcements. One is this, our Kentucky mission trip. So we got some things up here. We're going to pray over them in just a second. But um, we still need some items. We still need kids' shoes um, and really anything else that you have. Uh, Cutoff is going to be this Wednesday, all right? Wednesday is the cutoff. If you have anything you can bring, you can bring that by here by Wednesday. Second announcement, our men's retreat going to be in October. Uh, gentlemen, if you're planning on going with that, final payment for everything is due by August 1st, so don't forget that. And then lastly, uh, this coming Wednesday, everything is normal. Uh, journey groups, children's ministry, youth ministry, all that's normal. Some journey groups aren't going to be meeting. Mine is not. Yours may or may not. Contact your leader. But everything is back to normal here this Wednesday. And then for everything else, all the other announcements, just download the app. You can download that, give online, and give as you leave, whatever works best for you. Uh, but use that app. That's how the best way to communicate. Uh, but as we leave here uh, this morning, I want to pray over this. This kind of represents some of the things that we're going to be sending to Kentucky for our mission trip. Is we're going to be working primarily with young ladies who are pregnant, ministering to them, taking care of them, providing them with some resources, because really putting feet to, again, our desire and love for families and babies and life. And so I want to pray over these and uh, ask God's blessing on the team as they go here in a little while uh, that the Lord would go before them and allow them to see much fruit. So let me pray for us and pray for our team, and we'll let you get out of here, all right? Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you, um, again, that you desire intimacy with us so much that you sent your son to die in our place so that we can have that. I pray, God, that we would see you as desiring that. We will pursue you in that and walk out that intimacy by faith in Jesus. I pray, God, for this mission team that's going to Kentucky. I pray, God, your blessings on them. I pray fruit for their ministry. I pray, God, that you would allow them to see souls saved and minister to for your glory. I pray, God, that you would take these small tokens, these small gifts, God, and just use them to be a blessing. I pray, God, that you would allow us to, again, put feet to what we say we believe. We would seek to be men and women that bring glory and honor to you by caring for those that are in need. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Happy 4th. See you next Sunday.